just made for ILS and Vegas, Trippy.com in conjunction with the Lee Las Vegas. I'm proud to present live from the show at the T Hotel and Casino. Make some noise! This is the main event! Direct from the neon wonderland of the Fremont Street Experience in downtown Las Vegas, the Vegas Gang! With special guest gaming business guru, Roger Gross. And served in a mason jar with an egg on top, you know who it is, 500 And the hardest working man in casino history, Dr. David G. Schwartz. And the always outrageous Vegas stripping match game, make some motherfucking noise, people! This is the Can sit uh, sit somewhere reasonable and um, please speak into the microphone. This is being recorded for posterity. I'm sure some folks will remember last year with our recording snafus, but we have uh, a crack team here this time around, and everything is looking fantastic. All right, let me grab my notes here, and we're going to dive into it. So you may be looking at this panel and saying a couple of things. One, our beloved Chuck Monster, who uh, has been with us uh, for many, many episodes, is still officially on hiatus, and so we're giving him his time off. Um, I don't know where he is, but we hope that he's doing well. Um, and you also may be looking over and say, that doesn't look much like Paul Steelman to me. Um, and that is correct. Uh, twice now we have had um, some guest scheduling issues. This happened with us last year, and we were fortunately able to reconfigure. And once again, we, uh, we found ourselves in the same situation. We were very fortunate to have Roger Gross, who is the publisher of Global Gaming Business Magazine, here with us today. He's one of the most preeminent journalists in the gaming industry, so I think it's going to be a great show. So give him a hand, please. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. All right, so let's get started. We're going to do a little bit, uh, sort of a, a state of the industry kind of talk here today, where we're going to go jurisdiction by jurisdiction, and I'm going to let these two guys talk about uh, how how things are going. So, um, picking sort of picking out of a hat. Let's start with the happy news first, and of course, I'm referring to Atlantic City. <laughs> uh, where things are going quite well recently. Um, I know, Dave, this is a p- especially painful for you as a, as a native. I feel like every time we, we get into these topics that I'm sort of stabbing you in the heart a little bit. Yeah, you know, even when the gaming industry is doing well, being from Atlantic City was not much to be proud of necessarily, and always you were kind of always the butt of the jokes, and now that it's doing badly with casino revenue, it's kind of even worse. So yeah, it, it is, but it is what it is. Not so great. Uh, Roger, actually, this is a great opportunity. What, if you were going to sum up the current state of Atlantic City situation, how would you, what would you say? Well, I, I am also an Atlantic City native, so this is a, uh, painful, oh, I did not know that. a painful subject to me. I still own a house there, and uh, when my taxes went up almost 30% this year, it was very painful. But, <laughs> but uh, 
I think Atlantic City over the, over the summer has been right-sizing the market. Um, it's been taking hits for the last seven years. Uh, seven years ago, they had a $5.2 billion revenue. Uh, it's down to 2.8 last year. It's probably going to be around 2.5 this year. So you're looking at a half size of the market that was there seven years ago. So basically what we're doing is having the number of casinos. And it's, it's a painful process. But I think the good thing is that it's happening quickly. And uh, we'll be able to right-size the market in less than a year. And if the city can get its act together, and I'm talking about the government and, and the state government, um, I think there's a real chance that Atlantic City can stabilize and really start to, uh, to turn it around within a year. Are you, how do you guys feel, how confident are you in the political leadership of Atlantic City these days? Is, are, is the city well-governed at this point? I know historically there have been some issues. Historically, there have been a lot of issues, but the, the, there's a new mayor which uh, he won election last November, and it was one of the most unlikely victories I've ever seen in my whole, my history in Atlantic City. Uh, he is a white, gay Republican yeah. uh, in, a, in a primarily minority-driven city, and he put together an incredible coalition of, of, uh, of, of diversity uh, that, that you, you have never seen. I was at uh, his victory party on election night uh, at the Tun Tavern in Atlantic City, and uh, you never you saw a, a, whole, a completely diverse variety of people there. So he has a terrible job, though. Uh, the first thing he had to do was raise taxes. It was supposed to be 50%, but the state kicked in enough money so that it came down to 30%. But now they're going back up again because so many casinos have closed. So it's a, it's a thankless job. And uh, But he does have the ear of the state, which the previous mayor did not have. He was actually uh, feuding with Governor Christie for a while. Uh, so I think, I think you know, we have the right people in place if they can you know, have the wherewithal to get it done. Dave? Revel, of course, has been a, sort of a sad story. Um, this very expensive building put up that hasn't done well enough to remain open. Uh, but now we're seeing potentially some signs of new life. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about Red, Revel's uh, future? Well, I'm obviously really disappointed that the plan to turn it into a university think tank (laughs) didn't happen. Center for Gaming Research East? Well, yeah. Although I've got to say the fact that that investor, whatever you want to call him, said he would... He wanted to attract free white people. Right. Again, in Atlantic City, not, That's not, a good not really to your way to endear yourself to the community. So, yeah, I don't think that was ever going to really happen. But just the concept of a think tank fighting cancer right there on the boardwalk, it's, it's quite, a, quite a potent one. But I think the idea is if you get a group that has ties and has a bigger network to build some kind of entertainment attraction that's not going to just be cannibalizing slot players from other casinos, that could be what you want to do. Yeah. I think that's what you need to do. You need to present a distinct attraction that is going to bring people in that's not going to cannibalize from other places. Is, is the Taj Mahal going to close? I mean, Dave, I know you worked there. Yeah, I really hope not. I really hope not. It's, a tough, it's definitely a tough situation. I know the union isn't happy, but I, I've got to think there's a way to keep that, that building open because it's a huge casino, one of the biggest in the city, and definitely be bad news for a lot of people if that closes. Right. Talk to me, Roger, about internet gaming and its impact in New Jersey. Has that panned out the way that folks had hoped? And either side, where is it going to go in the future? Is it going to become a bigger component? 
Well, certainly not the way the governor had predicted it would, it would come out. Uh, it has uh, started very slowly. Uh, people have, quote, unquote, been disappointed in the, the revenue figures. Um, but, you know, you got to look at the fact that it's, it's a brand new industry. It was competing with, with the, uh, the black area uh, uh, sites that, that were very easy to get on. You could deposit right. money. You didn't have to prove who you were. And it was easy to get on and play. Uh, the, the actual uh, procedure of getting on the site, proving who you were, and then depositing money was almost insurmountable in the beginning. So uh, the fact that they had any revenue surprised me right off the bat. But I think um, it's starting to come around. I'm actually in that business. I have a, a, a marketing affiliate uh, site in New Jersey uh, called iGamingPlayer.com, and, uh, and we're kind of directing players to the sites. It's been ramping up slowly. Um, and I think uh, things are going to really turn around when PokerStar is, uh, is licensed in New Jersey, when and if. We haven't seen mm. that yet. But uh, if that happens, I think that's, that's it's the big 800-pound gorilla that could really focus attention onto uh, online gaming in, in New Jersey. One of the problems is that people don't know it's legal. Uh, there's been some surveys, you know, uh, in New Jersey itself that only one in ten people know that that it's a legal operation. So they have to get the word out, and they haven't done a good job at doing that. So uh, that's kind of like my job as uh, iGamingPlayer.com. But uh, we're we're doing as much as we can, and and uh, we're really putting together uh, an a, uh, affiliation of uh, online gaming marketing sites that I think is going to help uh, get the word out for sure. You uh, were working hard at G2E, and one of the things that you did was talk to Sheldon Adelson, Mm -hmm. who is uh, the head honcho at Las Vegas Sands, and of course he's been outspoken against the whole concept. Um, How do you think, and his newfound friend Steve Wynn seems to be uh, towing that line as well, How do you, when you have these two titans of the industry, how does that impact um, the whole online gaming effort? It really uh, put, a, put a kibosh on what the American Gaming Association was going to do. Uh, you know, they were going to take the lead and, and kind of legitimatize it uh, amongst uh, the, the gaming public. And then when Sheldon came out against it and then Steve, uh, they, they kind of said, well, let's put this on the back burner because we all don't agree to it. So so they haven't been a force at all in doing this. And uh, and Sheldon's, uh, you know, has been pretty effective in in keeping any kind of a, a federal bill on the shelf. Uh, now, he wants to bring, bring a federal bill that will completely ban it. I don't think that's going to happen happen, but he's been effective in, in preventing a bill that would legalize online poker, uh, only online poker. So, uh, you know, he's got a lot of money, so you can never discount what he does, and anybody who has discounted him over the years uh, right. does so at their own risk. Yeah, I think that's an accurate statement. All right, Dave, before we leave Atlantic City, um, last word on uh, the prospects of the city. How are you feeling about where it's going? I think it's a city that's been around for about 150 years, and it's been in trouble before and come back, and I think it can come back again. All right, fair enough. Um, well, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's what ends up happening. Um, I want to zoom around the globe here a little bit um, in no particular order. Next up is Macau, which uh, for you know many many years, uh, at least in the I remember the last decade at least and further back even, sort of heralded as the the savior of the industry and uh, basically an ATM machine slash printing press of money. Um, but the last couple quarters have been a little bit different. We're seeing some some different numbers now. The folks that are heavily invested there are, don't seem to be super concerned, at least in their public statements. Um, is, is Macau in trouble? I guess, Roger, I'll start with you. Uh, are, what, are we seeing something substantial, or is this just a normal market fluctuation? 
I'm going to just defer to Sheldon Adelson now. What he told me is that it, it's cyclical, uh, that it's always been cyclical in, in Macau. About four or five years ago, they had a, a downturn because the the, uh, the Chinese government uh, wouldn't issue uh, visas to to people as as often as they wanted to. So that that caused it to dip. Uh, and now they're cracking down on money laundering, corruption, and and perceived corruption. So even people who aren't involved in corruption think that if I go to Macau with a lot of money, they're going to look at me. So they've kind of uh, uh, backed off on that. But uh, I think, um, and he said he's he's confident that it will come around. And uh, and he claims that the uh, the Macau uh, government has has said the corruption drive is over, and now they you can go back to normal. Uh, we haven't seen that yet with the numbers, but but I think I, I, I agree. I think it's cyclical. I think it will come back, and the, the companies that are invested there, the American companies, you know, are going to be active in other Asian jurisdictions, so they're not going to be so dependent upon Macau in the future. Right, and we'll talk about a couple of those in a minute, but Dave, what's your current sense of, uh, of the Macau market and where it's at? And any, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, protests in Hong, in Hong Kong, which is right around the corner. Yeah. Any of that spilling, potentially spilling over into what's going on in Macau? I mean, China's definitely changing, right? There's, it's very interesting to watch what's right. happening there on, in the country at, at large. Well, I thought what what Steve Wynn had to say was interesting, where he, most people look at Macau and the success of gaming there, look at it as in a cultural, through a cultural viewpoint, but Steve looks at it through a generational viewpoint and compares this generation of Chinese gamblers to his parents and grandparents, the people who came to America and took risks and made a lot of money for the first time, and he sees this happening in China now. I think that's part of the story, but I think also what's happening now, what Rogers alluded to about this cyclical of it, if that's a word, <laughs> is that the Chinese government has a much bigger role in throttling gaming demand than the American government does here. You know, if you remember how upset Oscar got and some other people got when Obama made some sort of offhand comment about, well, you don't go to Vegas and blow whatever your right. college tuition, but that wasn't, Obama didn't literally say you can't go to Vegas and blow your kids' college tuition. He just said, maybe you shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. Yeah, whereas (laughs) the general secretary can say, yes, you can't go to Macau and blow your corruption money or whatever it is. So I I think it shows... Make sure it's properly labeled. I think it shows how, even though there's a ton of demand there, there's still these artificial constraints because you have a government that's not necessarily as open as our government, so you're always going to be susceptible to those kinds of slowdowns. Absolutely. Now, it's, Macau has been really interesting to watch, and especially the amount of money that um, those American companies and others have poured in. It's pretty amazing. And we see, you know, that is obviously continuing with the project that Wynn is doing and, um, and others. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible to watch that continue to, to, continue to grow and grow. Uh, I think Steve just likes it because that's where his iPhone 6 is made in China. So he's super happy about his new iPhone. I was thought that well, was it's amazing funny. that the Kotai region in, in Macau right now, there's uh, there's six multi-billion dollar properties under under construction right now. So, you know, it, it's something like we never even saw in Las Vegas. We saw two or three at a time. But but this is six of them, and they're going to be spectacular projects. They're going to have all the bells and whistles of, uh, of you know, uh, hotel suites and mm-hmm. rooms and, and uh, uh, shopping and restaurants and, and everything that that the mass market wants. So uh, I can't see uh, Macau staying you know, down for, for any length of time, particularly with these properties coming online by 2016. Yeah. So beyond Macau, you alluded to other Asian jurisdictions, and I'd love to uh, talk a little bit about them. I mean, we've heard rumblings about Japan, and of course there are casinos in other parts of the region. Singapore has turned into this incredible force, especially for Las Vegas Sands, who's making a ton of money there now as well. Um, what are the hot 
jurisdictions outside of Macau and maybe even Singapore that we should be paying attention to in that area? Is Japan going to be a real thing? And if so, who's going to, who are, are the players going to be there? As, I mean, I realize that there's a lot is in flux and anything could happen, but you know, looking forward a little bit, what are we guessing? Dave, I'll start with you. Well, Japan's been a potential site for a long, long time, but I know in the past year, there's been a lot of Japanese groups coming through Las Vegas and talking to people and a lot of official delegations. So that tells me that they're getting a lot more serious than they were before. So I think Japan has a very good chance of happening. Is I mean, we see some American companies are clearly interested in that market. They've made statements to that effect when um, he used to have a Japanese business partner. Or he axed him, but is, I think said in the past that he would be considered that market. Roger, who would you imagine, if we're thinking about American companies or other, other large gaming companies, who's going to go after a market like Japan? That's the big players. I mean, Caesars is very anxious to get into Asia, so they're they're really pushing hard. Uh, they have a, an agreement with a, a company in Korea uh, on on an island off the coast of Korea that that will still that still is limited to foreigners only. In Korea, the the natives are not allowed to gamble there unless except for one small not small casino. It's a huge casino, but it's way up in the mountains. It's a four or five hour drive from Seoul, hard to get to, but it's it's probably the the uh, most profitable profitable casino outside of Macau, wouldn't you say, Dave? Uh, that, yeah, that one? Definitely. I mean, uh, Kwang Wan Land, I Kwang think it's Wan called. Land, and, yeah. uh, it's way up in the mountains. So, and, and there are a lot of casinos in Seoul, in and around Seoul, but they're all, for foreigners only, they're small, they're kind of the British model of mm, casino right. tables, a few slot machines, but these new ones that, that Caesars wants to put up is a, is a big uh, integrated resort with all the bells and whistles that you find there. Uh, Genting is in, involved with a company there, and of course, all the other big guys are looking there, and I know Las Vegas Sands wants to be there. Uh, so, you know, all, all the, the candidates you would expect to, to be interested will be there, MGM for sure. What about Singapore? So uh, still only have two licensees there, correct? Is right. that, are we looking for expansion there? Or is that going to be the status quo for a while? What do we, what do we think? Either one of you guys want to jump in. That, uh, Las Vegas Sands has an expansion plan. Do you know how far along they are with that? I don't think they're very far along at all. They, okay. That plot of land they have there yeah. is is very limited. That's why they have the. That's, Sheldon told me that's why they have the pool on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> there was no room on the ground. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, and uh, Genting was is expanding their resorts world. I think there's one more phase to go. But I, it's my impression that that Singapore wants to just keep it at that. Yeah. They're happy with the, the response they got. I think the I think they they were promised ten year exclusive when they signed the deals and the 10 years is coming up in the next couple of years. But there doesn't seem to be any indication that Singapore wants to go any further into gaming. In fact, they, they just uh, made uh, online gaming illegal in, in Singapore. Mm. I mean, very much illegal so that all the, <laughs> the ones that were there are pulling out. So it's, uh, it's, uh, they've, they pretty much dipped their toe as far as they're going to go, I think, into gaming at this point. Let's... There's so many places that we could go to, but we don't have enough time to really cover everything. Before we leave Asia, though, talk, let's talk about Genting a little bit. Because, of course, you know, they're this massive company that a lot of Americans maybe are maybe becoming more familiar with mm-hmm. as they're expanding. But uh, not necessarily a household name. Um, tell me about this company and its ambitions and who's running it. I, I don't think many folks really know sort of what their M.O. is. Well, it's too bad Paul Steelman isn't here because yeah. <laughs> he's working closely with them. You know, he's uh, helped design their their project here in Las Vegas, and uh, 
It's uh, they—they're they, a Malaysian company. They built the only casino in Malaysia. Uh, they were granted that license what thirty years ago. Yeah, sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah. They had uh, they, and they still have the only license there. There's been a couple of groups that wanted to get a license, and they've been rejected by the government. But it's a huge casino in in the highlands, Genting Highlands, uh, outside of uh, of Kuala Lumpur, and uh, it's just again one of the most successful casinos in the world. They were early on. They were the uh, original uh, uh, financier of Foxwoods when they opened up. So, you know, whether you know it or not, they've been in the U.S. since, uh, since the early right. 90s. And, uh, and uh, K.T. Lim is, is their chairman. He's the son of the founder of the company. Um, he's somewhat of a legendary figure himself, the same way his father was. Uh, and uh, they're just kind of like a machine. They just keep going, you know. Uh, I've known a few Americans that have worked for them for a short time, and uh, that's about all you can do. With <laughs> if, you're, if you're an American, you can do it for a short time and you move on. And, and there's nothing bad about it. I mean, I haven't heard any 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 problems with it but i think you just get in there and you're expected to be part a cog in the machine and right. uh, and you make a little bit of money but you never there's really no advancement path there so uh interesting they're 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 very much of an asian company for sure very interesting okay let's um let's zoom back we're going to talk about them again in a minute because they are doing something here in las vegas but let's zoom back to the united states first and before we get to vegas let's talk about some of the other jurisdictions where we're seeing some activity so of course massachusetts has been very much in the news um wind resorts after a long effort um won um the right to build a casino in the outside the boston area so did they win anything dave i'll start with you (laughs) did they really win anything it's i mean we're up for a vote again right so this could be undone I guess we'll find out in November when the voters decide for the second time if they want casinos or not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the amount, of, the amount of work that they went through to win this license, it's pretty amazing now that after all of that, and they finally did, were granted that license that they, they may end up with nothing. It's... Uh it's just been a, a, a real uh, problem that state. There's just been one thing after another. Um, the, the law was written very clumsily, so uh, you know it had to go through all these steps that just took forever. I mean, uh, there's been some analysis done on on the length of time it's taken, you know, from a gaming legalization when, when somebody actually voted to bring in casinos to the the, the time the act, the casino actually first opened. And I think what is it? Pennsylvania was what five years before yeah, it opened, five years. and this is going to be at least seven or eight. Yeah. By the time a casino opens, so uh, it just it just keeps getting longer. I mean, New Jersey was was nine months, you know, yeah, so, literally. So uh, uh, you know, now it's you're up into the eight year area. By the time you're, you actually get the casino up there, so I don't know what the problem is with the regulations. Um, I've met the regulators; they seem to be like like uh, very responsible people, but um, and they're just following the law. So I think it was just the the fact that the law was written written very poorly and, and not re- really thought about when they when they came into it. I think it's fascinating that Wind Resorts, a company that prides itself on its design sense, uh, basically was told, yeah, we're not so hot on your design. Can you go back and tweak that? And they're like, okay. Well, it's funny. The the commissioner who actually said that, uh, Commissioner McHugh, was at G2E last year, and he came to uh, uh, something we held last year called the Casino Design Awards, where we we you know showed off all the designs, and uh, and he came up to me afterwards. He said, this is exactly what we need. This is this is. I'm so glad I came to this, and and so he actually saw a lot of Wynn's designs for other areas, and he realized that. 
He's kind of just copying what he did elsewhere for Massachusetts. So uh, he he was right on top of that one. But uh, but I mean, it's it's you know, Steve has a style, and that's exactly what what he's doing up there. He he doesn't really vary from that style too much. Right. And uh, it, it's really similar to the what he designed in Philadelphia. So right, uh, yeah. which of course never never came to be. Right. Um, Real quick, let's talk about MGM and their Baltimore area spot. They seem pretty hot on this. They seem to believe that it's going to end up making them zillions and zillions of dollars. Dave, do you agree with that assessment? Is this going to be a huge thing for MGM's bottom line? I think it's got a lot of potential because not only do you have Maryland, but you've got the D.C. metro area, which doesn't have any gaming right now. And you've also got Virginia, which doesn't. So until Virginia decides that they want to legalize casinos and opens up six casinos on the other side of the Potomac, I think it's, they're going to have a very, very good chance of success there. Roger, do you agree? Absolutely. I, I went to college in D.C. when high school there, and uh, uh, it, it's a ripe area for, uh, for uh, gaming. Um, we saw Maryland Live, which is south of Baltimore, kind of between Baltimore and D.C., uh, do very well um, when they first opened. I mean, just knocked the ball out of the park, and, and they weren't even drawing a lot of people from Virginia. So when you get, when you get a, a property right on the border of Maryland and Virginia with, with the D.C. market right under its thumb, I think they're going to do, do a terrific job. The access to the site is, is better, better than anything I've seen seen in a long time, right off the Capitol Beltway, right off of 95, it's, uh, and, and it's right on the river, it's a beautiful location, so I think they're going to do very well there, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that some of my friends who lost their job in Atlantic City can get a job. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was feeling a little bit bad for Jim Murray, he's had a kind of cut, <laughs> tough past few years, so you know, I'm glad to see right. him uh, <laughs> get one. All right, let's go back, come back to Las Vegas. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening here. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on. And I want to start off with a question that I think we've talked about in various forums on podcasts before. But, you know, of course, through the 90s and in the 2000s, we saw a consolidation of the Las Vegas market, right? We went from a few big companies to now basically two companies, two strong independents and some other folks that are, uh, that are also participating. What I want to ask both of you is... Have the mega mergers been good for Las Vegas as an industry, or knowing what we know now, would you go back and try to dissuade regulators or whomever from allowing them to take place? Dave, I'll start with you. It's an interesting question, and I looked at this. It's probably been, I would think, about even impact, not incredibly good, not incredibly bad. On one hand, you could say customers have less freedom to choose because the you only have a couple big companies. On the other hand, you wouldn't have things like the success of loyalty programs to the extent that you have now where people can spend at 10 different properties and get rewards for one card. So I think it's probably been about 50-50 each way. Yeah. Roger? Well, I'm, I'm a free market guy. I think the less regulation, the better. So, uh, you know, I, whatever happens, if, the, if that's the way the market dictates, that's the way it should be. Uh, it, just in Atlantic City, we've had some politicians blowing hard about their, uh, you know, Caesars, you know, controlling four of the properties there. Oh, if we, if we had stopped them from doing that, casinos wouldn't have closed. Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> not true. So, so uh, I, I, I think uh, what happened was, was meant to happen. But we've already seen uh, MGM starting to, uh, to shed some of the properties. 
properties they bought here. They, they uh, sold uh, Railroad Pass down near my hometown in Boulder City uh, just recently. And uh, last week they sold uh, Gold Strike in Jane. So uh, so I think they're starting to, to see what doesn't perform well for them. And Caesars has done that, too, uh, and to a certain extent in outside this market. So I think uh, I think they're, they're going to start to realize what their, their major properties are and where they need to put their attention. And things that, that are not core to their, their mission, they'll get rid of. I want to talk about Caesars in a minute because they are fascinating. But um, before we do that, is can a smaller operator get going in Las Vegas these days? I mean, the capital requirements now are so high. Is it even possible for somebody new to the market to come along unless you're like a billionaire, like a Phil Ruffin or somebody like that? I think you can. I think you have to create a product that people are going to want. And I think if you look downtown, you don't look very far to see proof of that that if you create a product that people want, you can carve out a niche. There's 40 million people a year who come to Las Vegas. Not all of them want the same thing. So if you can give something a little different, I think you can be successful. Do you agree? Uh, absolutely. I mean, just look at this place. Uh, <laughs> what Derek Stevens has done with this place has been amazing. Uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many how many owners did this go through before he got it? Right. Uh, and and he's done a great job here at Golden Gate, and then the guys over at Downtown Grand, you know, have done a nice job fixing that up. Uh, I mean, there's still going to be some shakeout in terms of business downtown here, but even out, up on the Strip, I think I think you can uh, a small operator come, could come in and, and, for instance, buy buy the river or something like that, and, and do a good job there by making it, uh, you know, uh, and well, look at less SLS. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's somebody that doesn't have uh, you know any gaming experience who's come in and done. What, what they've done in other cities and just added the gaming component to it. So I think that's that's going to be the real future of Las Vegas, I think. The hospitality end of it, the hotels. I mean, we've, we see now see Caesars with the Cromwell, which used to be mm-hmm. uh, you know Bill's Gambling Hall. You've got the, the Delano at uh, Mandalay Bay. So I think that's what that's where the future of Las Vegas is going. So if you can get a, you know, a, a real high-profile high hospitality brand to come into Las Vegas, I think you're going to see them succeed because it's going to be something different. If there's something different here or something you can't find elsewhere in the town, I think they're going to succeed. You mentioned two properties that I want to talk about in a little bit more detail. One is Downtown Grand. So, of course, Lady Luck was shut down for many, many years. The project took quite a while, and last year, around this time, they reopened as Downtown Grand. Um, who I, I think it's hard, if you survey folks that have been there and stayed there, I, I think pretty universally people praise the work that they've done. It's nice, it's clean, it's well put together. Um, if the rumors are true, and if you believe your own lying eyes, it doesn't seem to be attracting a large number of bodies. What's going on at Downtown Grand? Did they somehow miscalculate, or is this a th- situation where things are eventually going to work themselves out, and they have a slow ramp? Uh, opinions on their situation? I think they'll find their way. I think they're in somewhat of a unique market there, because they're not on Fremont Street, as we've discussed many times, many, many times. But I think they've got a lot of attractions there. They've got the potential to be the gateway between Zappo'sville and Fremont Street. <laughs> and they've also, they can also play off of the Mob Museum, which is a huge attraction there, too. So I don't think they've got a bad location. I think they've got to figure out what to do in that location to get more people to stay in the building and do stuff there. 
Roger? Yeah, I think I think it's just what I just said. That if they can figure out to provide people with something that they can't get at any other place downtown, then they're going to going to be successful. And they're they're going through that process now, from what I understand. They're really kind of drilling into the people that they've attracted and the people they haven't attracted. More importantly, and they're going to figure out how to do it. I, I think they're going to come through in the end. It's just you know downtown is still you know an up and coming market. It's not it, it's it's uneven. I mean, we saw what happened with the uh, the firings of, of the downtown project. A couple couple of weeks ago. Right. So, uh, you know, there's there's still a lot of upheaval here and it's going to take a while for it to really get going. But I think once it ramps up and once it starts going, I think I think there's no, no end to it. I think they can really, uh, really uh, be a successful area for Las Vegas. Do you think downtown project has been good for downtown Las Vegas? Uh, there's been a lot of negative publicity over the last couple of weeks with their layoffs and some other related stories. Um, it, you know, well, what do you think? I think it's been good in that it's infused a lot of money in a downtown and it's shaken things up. So to the extent that it's opening another door, it's good. Now, I don't know if that's going to work out. Tony Shea's vision is going to work out for downtown. But I think it's good that it's opening up this alternate path for development and we'll see what happens. Roger? Where would you be without it, frankly? You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's that or nothing. So uh, I think I think they've done a, done a good job. And again, it's uh, kind of hit or miss. You know, they throw in stuff against the wall, see what sticks, and some some sticks, some doesn't. So uh, I think once they figure out what works, they'll expand on that, and, and it will be a success. One of the other properties that came up is SLS, which of course is recently opened. Formerly the Sahara underwent a massive renovation. Um, any sense of how they are doing? You know, we've talked on the show in the past about the location that they're in, trying to determine how big of a challenge that may or may not be. Um, unfortunately, they still have this giant empty carcass of a hotel next door, which is stagnant and not the most inviting thing uh, for people walking down the street. But, Roger, I'll start with you. What Are you bearish or bullish on SLS? Well, this is the cover story of our November issue, so yeah, I'm, see? I've, I've got this <laughs> fresh in front, front of mind now. Uh, um, I did uh, an interview with Rob Oslin, their president, uh, former Win executive, and uh, you know, and, and at another uh, what, last year when I interviewed uh, Sam Nazarian, the, the the owner of the, of the property, well, one of the owners, um, he said you can't be everything to everybody, but it seems like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get locals. They're trying to get uh, conventioneers. They're trying to get gamblers. They're trying to get the young people. So I, I get the impression that they really don't know who they're going after yet. And, and from the reports I've been seeing, you know, they're, they haven't really gotten anybody yet. Right. You know, it, and any, any great, uh, except possibly for the young guys who you know, do the club thing, right. which is what their expertise is. So, but they can, they need a lot more than that. They can't just survive on that. So I think they're trying to figure out how to do that. And again, it's, a, you know, it's a, a brand new uh, business for them. They're they're trying to figure it out, and I think they will. I, they're the people that I talk to for the story are very intelligent, uh, really bright young people that mm-hmm. really really know uh, you know their business. They don't necessarily know gaming yet, but I think they'll pick it up pretty quickly. I got a chance to walk with Rob Osland, and he was a very impressive guy. Yeah. And you, mm-hmm. it's hard not to sit and talk to him and not feel like, wow, these guys have definitely got it figured out. But of course, it's very difficult, and the market's a really challenging one. Um, so it will be really interesting to see. I walked over there yesterday just to see it all all finished up, and it's very nice and clean and trim. There weren't a whole lot of people there. It was a Friday uh, morning, so you know. But uh, we'll be very interested to see 
how it does end up doing. I know some of the folks here in the audience have uh, already had an opportunity to stay there and try it out. And so, I don't know, be interesting to see how that shakes out. One of the problems is they're, even though they're on a strip, they're in a place on the strip, they don't get hardly any foot right. traffic. So they need people to be coming there directly. And if, you, if they're not coming there directly, they're not going to get them at this point. Maybe a, maybe when the MGM festival mm-hmm. thing opens across the street and, and all the other infrastructure in that area. But right now, they've got to come there directly or else they're not coming at all. Exactly. Uh, Caesar's Palace, or the whole Caesar's Empire, really. Um, or divided empire. So it's very interesting, right? We've talked about this again also, but they have gone through a series of sort of financial mumbo-jumbo to try and move assets from one company to another to stave off bankruptcy or whatever else might be in store for them. Will they be able to pull that off? Is Caesars going to be required to go through a Chapter 11 process to figure out their debt, or will they somehow be able to keep all the balls in the air uh, and move forward in the structures that they're setting up? Dave? Things might look grim now, but whenever I think we should count anybody out, I think back to March of 2009 and where Las Vegas Sands was, the right. stock like was under $3 or something, $2, $2 yeah. a share. I should and have bought it was awful, and oh my God, they're going to go bankrupt. Sheldon reaches his, into his pocket, puts some more money in, China loosens up on the visas, and yep. Las Vegas Sands now has the largest market cap in the whole business. And I think bigger than, I don't even know how many companies combined. So I'm not going to rule them out. They could, they okay. could turn this around. Likelihood. That was a very non-answer answer. Roger, what do you think? Well, I'm not, I'm not a finance guy. And when I talk to their finance guy, their CFO, he's a Scottish guy and he's got a thick Scottish brogue and I'm lost immediately when I start talking to him. So, uh, so I, can't, I can't even uh, begin to talk about what they're doing. It just seems to be like a shell game to me. But, uh, you know, th- there seems to be some movement towards, uh, you know, some sort of settlement with, with the, uh, with the uh, investors. So who knows? You know, my, I, I hope they do because it's a great company. Um, you know, the leadership uh, is lacking a little bit. But, hey, here's a guy that, uh, that's been in power there for, what, 10 years now? Yeah. And, you know, they still have faith in them. And I'm thinking strategically, (laughs) you you know, probably it's to their benefit to get to a settlement quicker rather than later. Because if Japan does open up, you don't want this hanging over the company. Right. You want to be able to say, okay, we've got our financial house in order. We would make a good partner. Right. And that that already came back to bite them in Korea. They had a deal last year in Korea with a different company. And they they were turned down for a license because the the government didn't have faith in their their finances. So that's an important element for them to get under control before they they really push in Asia. Excellent point. Uh, A few more things that I want to touch on before we wrap up for today. Um, We had talked a little bit earlier about Resorts World. I think uh, any folks out there, are you guys excited about Resorts World? Just... I think that's the sense that I get. It seems that people are excited about what's happening there, especially, you know, as we get peeks into what they're potentially doing with some pretty snazzy videos and whatnot. Um, how, what's Resorts World's impact going to be on, on Las Vegas? Is it, is it going to be a, a huge splash? Uh, what do you think, Dave? I think it will be. I think if, of course, this is a big if, if conditions are going to be good for middle-class Chinese to come over here and spend vacations. It'll be great. It'll attract a lot of people. I also am really looking forward to the move away from the sort of sleek, chic Vegas, Mm. going back to something a little bit more earnest and a little bit more spectacle, Mm -hmm. which I think we've been missing in recent years. I think that might be good, and that might swing the pendulum back the other way, so maybe there'll be 
re-Egyptifying Luxor <laughs> again. <laughs> you know, I just think it's, I, I think Las Vegas needs that. I think, yes, it's nice to have some of the sleek and modern places, but I think you also need that element of just pure fun and wow, I can't believe this is here in the middle of a desert, which to me is what brings people to Vegas. Roger, what are your thoughts on Resorts World Las Vegas? I'm really looking forward to seeing what, how they do the Great Wall of China. That's what I <laughs> want to see. But um, I went to their uh, property in New York last summer, uh, uh, Resorts World uh, at Aqueduct Raceway, mm-hmm. and it just seemed to be you know, a lowest common denominator. I'm hoping that's not what, what they're going to do here, and I don't think they will. I think you have to have, be more spectacular here. Um, but uh, I, think, I, think, um, I think it will work. Uh, if, are they going to target just Asians, though, or are they going to target... Right. You know, I, I'm not sure, you know, having not really seen them market that, that much in this country, and they, frankly, they don't have to market Aqueduct that much. There's so many people, you know, within, right. within walking distance even of, of Aqueduct that they don't have to, have to come out with any great marketing plans. But you know they'll have to do that in Las Vegas. So, uh, and I haven't seen what they've done in this country, so we'll... we'll uh, I'll put that aside for this point, but I think I think as Dave said, I think the spectacle that that they're promising to bring to the strip there is good. And again, that's another reference to Paul Steelman because he's designing it for right. them. And uh, and I, I think you know, knowing what he's done in the past, uh, I would never put it past them to do something great. You have two Las Vegas gaming companies, Wind Resorts and Las Vegas Sands, that are both run by uh, very highly visible. Um, CEOs, and in case of Wynn, obviously, the, named the company after himself, and I think is very much entwined, the man and the company and their image. Both of them, as far as I know, are healthy and fit and fine, but they're older gentlemen and won't be running those companies forever. I would love to get a sense of what you guys think, how those companies are going to weather those transitions, which will be a big deal in both of those cases. I know, Roger, you've interviewed these guys and talked to them Dave, you have as well. I mean, what do you, how do you think that's going to play out? Uh, it was interesting. Uh, after I interviewed uh, uh, Mr. Adelson, Steve Wynn was in the front row, and he came back uh, to, the, to the green room afterwards, and it was just him, him and Sheldon and their wives. And uh, you know, I was struck by, these are like a bunch of old people, except for Wynn's <laughs> wife, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, and that that kind of inspired my my editor's letter in, in this next edition coming up, which is really talking about the the uh, the succession plans for the gaming industry, and not just for those companies, but for for the whole industry. I mean, um, you know, one of I'm, I'm involved with putting on G2E, and, and it was a big success this year with with having these two big speakers. And my question, you know, to them was, okay, what do we do next year? You know, because right. there's nobody with that kind of uh, portfolio or that kind of visibility that both of those men have. So uh, um, we. We're grappling with that. That that got me to thinking about you know people who are going to come up, and I think I think one of those people could be somebody like Sam Nazarian, mm. you know, somebody who who does have that kind of vision that has that real personality. So I, I think we we haven't really seen those guys come up yet, guys and women. I think there's probably some women out there that that could fill that bill as well. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing who that's going to be. As for those specific companies, I think we're going to for for Las Vegas Sands, we're going to get a clue. Uh, Mike Levin, the COO and the president, is mm-hmm. leaving um, at the end of the year. Right. And whoever they they whoever Sheldon decides is going to succeed him, I think is probably going to be his successor, mm-hmm. and that'll probably be Rob Goldstein. I think Rob, yeah. Rob is an old friend of mine from Atlantic City, um, and uh, he's he's actually my age, so he's not that young. <laughs> so he's not he's not really the next generation, and you know he'll. Uh, he's made enough money now that he doesn't have to do anything. So uh, it might not be him. It might be somebody even younger. But but just knowing those organizations, 
there are people in those organizations that, that are, are, are under, under 50 and under 40 that are real dynamic individuals that are really smart with what they do. I mean, Steve wants you to think, oh, you know, it's all me. Right. You know, but it's not. They have some right. really incredible talent in yes. those organizations that, that drive the business. And, and those are the people that are going to be the, the leaders of the industry in the future. See people like Matt Maddox or Linda Chen and these other yeah. folks that, yeah. you know, uh, you can tell even on the quarterly calls that they command uh, tremendous influence and are big players in, in running those, that company, definitely. Um, all right, well, we're going to wrap up here and proceed. But before we do, I was hoping that you could, Roger, could tell us a little bit about G2E. Now, I'm sure there are folks that have been, but I'm sure there's a lot of folks that have not and are familiar with it, at least by name, but maybe don't know all the inner details. So we've got a lot of casino nerds mm-hmm. here. Why don't you tell them sort of what they could expect if they decide to go next year, what it's like? They should definitely come next year. You know, you can always get a free ticket somewhere. And uh, the exhibit floor is gigantic. It's, uh, I think it was 260,000 square feet this year. And uh, it's just fascinating. Um, there's there's special sections for security and surveillance, so you can see how they they check out the tables. There's a section for iGaming that has all the uh, all the companies that serve that part of the industry. But of course, the stars of the show are the slot machines, and those are the ones with uh, with the huge exhibit areas. And uh, and it's just you see all the cutting edge games. Uh, you see the the they all have the themes. They had some people from uh, what's that. Uh, Duck Dynasty. Oh, yeah. They had people from there. That's a theme this year. They had Linda Carter from Wonder Woman, who I was in love with back then. So <laughs> I, I couldn't wait to see her, and she looks great, by the way. So uh, th- there are there's all kinds of things you can do there. There's a food area that, that they uh, they serve some food. There's actually a little liquor area where you can uh, you can get in and, and sample the wines and the liquor that they're trying to sell to the casino. So it's a lot of fun, and uh, and it's easy to get to easy to get a free ticket into uh, you just have to finagle your way and uh, it's, it's really not that hard um, but uh, but it's a great great experience I mean uh, for me it's it's a it's the uh, Super Bowl of my uh, career every year and uh, it's just crazy for me but but for somebody who, who's just a, a casino industry fan a, a gaming fan you know it, it'll be fascinating so I, I encourage you to do that next year definitely and if, you, if anybody does want a free ticket, get in touch with me, and I got a ton of them. So There you go. Well, we still got, uh, you know, about it's a year a, left. About a year right? left, But yeah. Uh, yeah, good to know. Um, all right, I think we're going to leave it there today for our show. Uh, before we do go, I'd like to give these guys an opportunity to um, tell you all where, where they can be found on the internets and whatnot, whether it's Twitter or web, web or whatever. Um, Roger, if people want to hear more from you, where should they go? Uh, we have a uh, weekly podcast. I, I, myself and my editor, Frank Legato, uh, interview uh, all the top executives in the industry every week. Uh, it's called ggbnews.com. There's a free podcast up there every week. Uh, uh, we just had, last week we had the, uh, the Sheldon uh, interview up there. Um, so uh, it's, uh, that's uh, ggbnews.com. The main website is ggbmagazine.com. And then uh, my online gaming site is igamingplayer.com. So if you're interested in, if you live in New Jersey, please sign up. Nothing, but sign up through me, so uh, <laughs> there I get you credit go. for it. <laughs> and you're on Twitter too, right? And Twitter, right? Uh, Global Gaming Biz. Yes, we'll definitely tag you in the post for the stuff, so people can can find all that stuff with some simple links. Doctor Dave, where can people find you? Oh, so many places. First of all, tonight you can find me on H two. 
Right. My very good friend, Henry Rollins, doing 10 things you don't know about Las Vegas, although probably most of the people in this room already know a lot of them. But that, <laughs> all I know is that show was a lot of fun to do, so I think it'll be really good. And I was just in a small part of it, and I'm excited to see who else. He talked to a lot of other people who I know in town here, so it's going to be really exciting. So that's, that's something you might want to check out, DVR. It's on tonight at 10, I think. Usually you can find me at UNLV Gaming on Twitter, also gaming.unlv.edu or at dgschwartz.com for my articles and all that other great stuff. Fantastic. Folks can find me at Hunter on Twitter, probably the simplest way. Uh, let's get a big round of applause for these two gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.